Hi, I'm Bill Gaither, and welcome to More Than the Music, a podcast where you can join me for conversations with some of the most interesting people I know. Each episode features a special guest who has inspired me in some way during my 50 years in the music industry. You'll meet incredible artists, writers, and comedians, sports figures, and other folks I'm grateful to call my friends. Join me now for this week's episode of More Than the Music. It's going to be good. The next person I'm going to talk with has interviewed Art Linkletter, Jim Lovell of Apollo 13, Neil Armstrong of Apollo 11, Bob Hope, Senator Jacob Javits, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa, has been on presidential summits with Reagan and Gorbachev, Lyndon Johnson, and a few other important folks. And I have the nerve to interview him myself. Mark Krim, how you doing, my friend? Well, Bill, I rate you as one of the most important people I know. <laughs> then you know how to start this thing out, right? Well, and, and if, you define, if you define success by its deeper meanings, and not just economic success or fame or all of the things that uh, people generally associate with someone who has succeeded, if you dig way down beneath that to the deeper levels, then I stand by what I just said, Bill. You're one of the most successful people I know. You're very kind. Morton, I go clear back to college days. Uh, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, we had a noon radio show on a local Anderson station, WCBC. And uh, we, had, we both had a friend named uh, David Grubbs, who became a very successful pastor in, in our little movement. And uh, he was a great salesman. And he went out and sold a supermarket on sponsoring three young kids called the Gaither Trio, Bill and Danny and his sister Marianne, who had to stand on a Coke box to reach the microphone. And we had the luxury of having Mort Krim as the announcer who brought us in every day at 1230 sharp. I still have some of those early albums, Bill. <laughs> I got them right here in my office. <laughs> and, uh, those are great days. And uh, then more, uh, you went on, started doing uh, radio, not only locally, but it wasn't long. Pretty quickly after college, uh, when you were sub substituting for Paul Harvey, right? Well, there were a few years that intervened there. Uh, after I left Anderson, uh, built my own radio station when I was 20 years old, and <laughs> that was a, that was an almost immediate flame out. We were belly up and bankrupt within three months. <laughs> I I think my enthusiasm and my estimation of my own abilities got away ahead of the reality. Yeah. I eventually went into the Air Force. This was during uh, just prior to the Vietnam era, and the draft was in force. And uh, I was already a civilian pilot. 
and uh, never made the grade as an Air Force pilot because I uh, discovered after I got in that they required 20-20 vision. But I had my, my private rating. And uh, after four years of producing radio and television programs for the Air Force, I uh, got a good focus on where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do with my life, what I thought I was supposed to do with it. And I went to graduate school at uh, Northwestern University at the Medill School of Journalism. After that, I got to uh, New York and uh, worked for WNEW, the local, uh, the major news station in New York City at that time. And after a year there, I was hired by the ABC radio network as a morning anchor and news correspondent, traveled uh, extensively with President Johnson and covered the space program. And then it was after that when I got into uh, local television news, was anchoring uh, for the post Washington Post station in in uh, Detroit, that uh, I was approached again by ABC, my old employer, and they said, we'd like you to fill in for Paul Harvey whenever he's gone. And Paul has signed on to this. And uh, so I did that for about five years. Pretty amazing uh, career. And then... Uh Sometime along the way, you were with Jessica Savage uh, uh, in Philadelphia, probably one of the first uh, male-female uh, major news combinations, right? It was. Uh, this was in 1973 that mm. uh, I was paired with uh, Jessica in uh, Philadelphia. Mm. I was anchored there at KYW for five five years. And, and, uh, and for you folks— and for you folks keeping up on, on the movies, the latest Anchorman movie was based, Will Ferrell, uh, based it on uh, your relationship there in Philly with Jessica, right? Yeah, uh, uh, Will's producer and co-writer, uh, Adam uh, Mackey, or McKay, I think he pronounces it, uh, had grown up in Philadelphia, had watched me on television there, and Jessica, when she later joined me on the anchor desk, and uh, then Will had seen um, a documentary, Jessica Died Tragically in an Automobile Accident, shortly after she went to NBC Network. And uh, so they, I was interviewed on a, a program about Jessica's life and her tragic death. And Will Farrell saw that interview on the uh, Lifetime channel. And as he related in, a, in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, he said, I, I heard this guy, and he still had this voice like the voice of God. <laughs> and he said, I thought that would make a good parody yeah. uh, if we took uh, Morton Jessica and turned it into Ron Burgundy and, uh, and uh, Veronica, uh, yeah. Veronica, I think it was, Cornerstone, <laughs> was, was the, the lady. And uh, so uh, when he mentioned that to Adam, Adam said, well, I, I grew up watching that guy on TV. And he said, let's get some old tapes and look at the shows. So he pulled up or was able to obtain some of our newscasts. And he and Will, the more they watched it, the more they thought there's a great parody here. And uh, Bill, we were, uh, Rini and I, uh, my wife, Rini and I were invited to uh, the world premiere in New York of Anchorman 2. Yes. yes. And uh, we went to the after party uh, event and met Will, and uh, I thought, what in the world do you say to a, a, a comedian like that? You know, being a straight man like I am, yeah. 
So I, I rehearsed this, and when I walked up to him, I said, Will, I said, it's such a pleasure for you to meet me. <laughs> and uh, he, he liked that. And he, he said, you know, Mort, he said, I've watched a lot of the interviews. He said, I saw you on with Piers Morgan, and I saw you on Fox and Friends. And he said, I, I just want to tell you personally, I appreciate the way you've taken this in good humor. <laughs> And I said, uh, well, Will, let me tell you this. I said, if you had billed the Anchorman movies as documentaries, I'd really be ticked off. But I said, as parody, I thought they were pretty good. <laughs> so the interesting thing for a lot of folks who have followed uh, Gloria and me and what we have done, they always say, where do you find all of these interesting characters? And here again, we go back to the early days of uh, uh of, of our college years here here in Anderson. But for some reason, we have stayed in touch. When we came to Philly to uh, uh, try to get some PR for the Philly concert at the old Spectrum, I can remember, they said, well, uh, we'd like to get you on the Mort Krim show, but that'd probably be pretty tough. I said, no, I think he's an old friend, and I think he would. <laughs> and so when we came to McCormick's place in Chicago, uh, they said, we need to get some publicity here. I said, I got a friend here. You have been so kind. All those in Detroit, the same thing. And all of those places. In fact, you sent me a clip the other day, or maybe it wasn't a clip. It was just a picture of the three of us on the couch there uh, talking. Yeah. You've been so kind to say, hey, I love my roots. I love where I've come from. It's an important part of who I am today. And uh, and I want to talk to you. Well, see, Bill, you benefited greatly from the fact that I could never hold a job. So I've showed up, uh, I've shown up in all these different markets. And, and when you came in there, then you were able to, to plug in and, and, and get on my shows. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that a lot of people don't uh, don't know about Mark Krim, and I do know, he started out in his early days as a gospel singer. You were part of a band that had an accordion and you played. Is that true? Well, I was a one-man band. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I actually started out, Bill, uh, and uh, you know because you've written a blurb for this book and, and you've seen you and Gloria read parts of it, but I've got a memoir coming out called Anchored. Uh, we just uh, secured a contract with a publisher uh, within the last month. It's going to be released the spring of 2021. That seems like a long time off, but at my age, 16 months goes really fast. But uh, in this book, uh, I tell about, uh, of course, my father was a minister. His twin brother was a minister in the Church of God. Uh, I had a, two brother-in-laws who were ministers. Uh, my aunt was a medical missionary uh, to Africa for 15 years. So uh, I used to kid my dad. I said, you know, with, with everybody in this family telling the good news, somebody's got to tell the bad news. So I think that's what I'm So I became a journalist. But I did start out uh, following in dad's footsteps. And uh, uh, I was at the age of 16 going around the churches and preaching and being billed as the teenage evangelist, uh, playing my accordion, playing the piano. Uh, doing a little singing. I, I, that's something I'd never try to do in front of you, Bill. But uh, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey, and I finally came to the point where I recognized, you know what, uh, following Dad's footsteps is not the way you figure out your own calling in life. You, 
that's something that's got to be highly personal. And I, I finally figured out and understood that, uh, that my role was to be a journalist. And that's what I've done and tried to stay active in my church and, uh, and active uh, in the religious community. Uh, but, uh, you know, not everybody has to, uh, has to uh, do their ministry from the pulpit. I, I, one of my favorite quotes, and our pastor, Palms uh, Presbyterian here in, in Jacksonville, he uses this quote often. I think it was St. Francis who told a young priest, he said, everywhere you go, preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Use words. I've always loved that quote, and, and I think you are right. Uh, I think it was St. Francis uh, who said that. And I can underline that. Uh, we were recently at a party in Indianapolis, and there was a young uh, television host in uh, in Indianapolis, beautiful young lady, and uh, uh and, and and she's got a quite quite a good career here. And I told her in our conversation, I said, um, I've got a good friend who's in the news business. And I said, Mort Krim, and I want to say this to you. And her face lit up. And uh, and she said, Mort Krim? I said, yes. I said, you know, uh, he gave me some time, uh, personal time, yeah, and I think when you were in Detroit, and um, and you were number one there in the market and everything, and as a young Christian, I just needed some advice as to uh, how I could do my craft and do it better, and uh, and I'll never forget the day that he sat down and took some personal time, and I think if you remember, I I said, let me get him on the phone, and uh, and I called you that night. Remember? I certainly do. Yeah. And, you know, and to me, uh, this business about, uh, if necessary, use words. You have done this so well. I'll never forget some well-meaning Christian uh, person uh, dropped you a note, knowing your background, knowing your dad was a minister, and said, you got a wonderful chance there, more." And reporting the news every day, why don't you slip in some Christian stuff every now and then? And I'll never, I think I'm paraphrasing you here, and you can stop me if this is not correct. But I think that uh, you said in so many words, my job here is to be the very best professional newscaster I can be and be very fair on both sides. And I show my, I show my faith by the way I treat the cameraman or the doorman at the door. And I've never forgotten that. We have sung in a lot of auditoriums across the country. And every time I go in, I'll stop at the doorman and say, what's your name? And he'll tell me, and I'll say, my name's Bill Gaither. You're doing an important job here tonight. Make sure you know who's coming in and who's going out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But that was yeah. a good response. Well, I think... Uh... Bill, for me, uh, I take very seriously the, uh, the, the Bible description of uh, Jesus' follower, that by their fruits you will know them. Absolutely. Uh, I did, as you know, a, a nationally syndicated radio series at its zenith. We were on about 1,300 radio stations all across the country, including some very major markets. 
And this series was um, a lifestyle series uh, aimed at, uh, at enunciating and emphasizing what I think are the core values of, of, of living a good life and living a, a, a faithful life. And, uh, you know, doing unto others the way we want to be treated and that showing compassion for those who are marginalized in society and all those things that you and I have talked many, many times, and I know we agree on those things. And I was interviewed one time on a Christian radio station, and this announcer uh, host had heard my Second Thought series, which was designed for the secular radio market and for a secular radio, uh, basically a, a mixed audience of all kinds of people. And he jumped on me pretty hard. He said, you call yourself a Christian. But he said, I don't hear any mention of Jesus or Christ or Christianity in your commentaries. <laughs> and I said, well, if you listen closely, you'll hear it in almost every commentary. <laughs> I said, what I try to do is communicate the things that I think Jesus communicated. And I said, if you're looking for a label, I said, when I go out to buy a pizza, I don't really care whether it's uh, Pizza Hut or, uh, uh, or uh, Little Caesars. Or I said, the name, I said, what I want is to be fed with the pizza, with the pizza. And I said, if you get really hung up on the name and the fact that on this secular radio series, uh, and it wouldn't be appropriate in a, in, a, in a setting like that, it's not a religious program. But I said, if you listen closely, you're going to hear that the same values that Jesus taught and that you and I believe in are the things that I'm communicating every single day in that series. This podcast is being sponsored by the folks at Game Show Network. Game Show Network is dedicated to creating family-friendly, fun programming that's right for everyone. They've got great shows morning, noon, and night, and their afternoon block of original programs from four to eight are the kinds of play-along, laugh-along shows that you can watch no matter who is in the room. Great to share with your kids or your grandkids. It's the kind of entertainment that will have everyone shouting their answers along with the television as they all watch the same screen. And these days, we know it's tough to get everyone to agree on well, just about anything. If you're looking for entertainment that the whole family can enjoy together, the answer is Game Show Network. You know, I talked to a pastor the other day, and there are some things that you can deal with um, with a crowd. And by a crowd, that could be three people. For instance, from a communication perspective, if you bring up a subject and I'm talking to one person, I will approach that from on one-on-one. -on -one. If there are two people in the room, I, I probably have to take in account where the other person is coming from. If there are three, if there are four, if there are 300, if there are 4,000, there are some things from a pastor's perspective that you can address as a crowd, whether the crowd is 200 or 2 or 2,000 or 20,000 or 200,000. And there are some things that need to be addressed. Uh, it needs to be addressed one-on-one. -on -one. And I think we get into trouble sometimes 
when we try to do major surgery in front of a crowd that uh, you don't have the time to do that. There are too many exceptions in it. And from a communications perspective, the older I get, the more excited I, I am because the general principles do not change. The, the general things that I can talk about do not change. The specific things, I will discuss it with you, but I'll only do that if I got time on a one-to-one basis. Now, if you spent your life in communication, and I've spent my life in communication, you want to respond to that? Does it make any sense at all? Well, it does, Bill. And uh, I think that uh, Jesus himself is a good example of how he tailored his message to the audience. Uh, His approach to the rich young ruler was much different than his approach to the Pharisees when they tried to trip him up and said, should we pay taxes? Absolutely. And he gave a very interesting answer. You know it well. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God's. He he knew how to deal with whatever audience was in front of him. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good example. Uh, you know, when I get up as, a, as an ordained elder in the Presbyterian Church, and address uh, a group of people, whether it's a Sunday school class or a church service, uh, knowing that we're all pretty much on the same wavelength uh, on certain basic things, um, I can address that audience differently and expect to communicate with that audience than if I'm talking to uh, seven or eight million people out in a radio audience that includes believers, non-believers, believers in all sorts of different religious systems. Uh, If I want to communicate with that audience, I have to know that that audience is is buried and and present what I'm presenting in a way that will resonate with them. That doesn't mean compromising your message. What it means is knowing your audience and communicating with them in a way that connects. The other thing that Jesus often used was uh, when they'd ask him a tough, tough question, he would say, let me tell you a story. Yeah. And I think many times, uh, it's been interesting, I've had, I've had interviewers say to me, now, because we're in music, okay? We use the same microphones the secular group does. We uh, we use the same lights. We use the same stage. We use you know the same notes. There's so many notes on a scale. The only thing that makes it different is the lyric that we're doing. So we'll have people. We'll have an interviewer from time to time say, "Now, do you consider yourself ministers or or entertainers?" Now, my old buddy Hovey Lister of the old Statesman Quartet had an answer for that. He said, "Yes, yes. Next question." <laughs> which I don't I, I I think was a pretty good answer. My answer to that is I don't know uh, on a given day, why don't you ask the person who bought the ticket? And uh, and and then I would even say that with Jesus. I would if you can hold the attention of five thousand people on a hillside without a PA system, you must be a pretty good entertainer. <laughs> You must be a pretty good storyteller, you know, to hold the attention of the people. And, so, and, and you know, and the great thing about the gospel message is I can do that. I had a character the other day said, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing with those videos. 
You're getting us all excited about the music, and you're laughing, and you're having a good time, and then at the end, you slip something under the door. And I said, well, you got to land the plane sooner or later. you got to say, you know, why are we here? And this is why we're here, and I make no apologies for it. But you and I both have spent our, our lives in the field of communication, and we're hope, we hope we're hitting a few marks, right? Yes, and I make no claim of, being, uh, of having mastered it. I'm, uh, I'm going to be 85 in July, Bill, and I still am learning every day. I, I try to keep my mind open uh, and my heart open, and uh, it's, it's called growth. And I think we either grow or we die. And I think that happens mentally and emotionally too. And uh, I'm uh, I'm proud of the fact that uh, I don't believe exactly today as I did ten years ago or twenty years ago, uh, maybe ten minutes ago. And that, that's not being wishy-washy. That's just saying, you know what? It's called growth. I think it's Carter said it best. He said, "I reserve the right to be inconsistent as I gain more knowledge." <laughs> That's pretty good. Both you and I are in the same age bracket, and the whole business of aging is an interesting uh, thing. And I, somewhere along the way, I don't know when it was, I said, God, help me from becoming an old, old cynic. And uh, now, now, that doesn't mean a person that's, that's questioning and, and is always probing and trying to find something new. But Life can get pretty tough as you get old, and you can either become bitter about it, and or you and and I know enough about you and your personal life. You've gone through stuff. You've got kids. You've lost a mate in the process, and you've dealt with health issues. But you're one of the most positive human beings, I think, in my circle, and that's the reason I like to hang with you. Well, thanks, Bill. I. Uh... Say you've got kids and you've been through stuff. I think that's a bit of a redundancy. But, uh, yeah, we, we all have. Yeah, and we got choices at that point. How are we going to deal with it? Because we got we have to continue, uh, you know, living our lives. And, and love, who, love is the love is the ultimate uh, solution to that. Uh, not all problems have solutions, but love is the thing that. Uh, that brings us closer to, uh, to finding answers, I think, in, in all of these relational situations. One of the biggest comments that, we, that we've had um, during the time that we've done what we have done is this. Um, I don't think a lot of people have written us and said, thank you for your music and your poetry and your philosophy and your theology. Uh, it, it has helped change a tremendous problem we've had. I, I've never heard that. But what I do hear is, thanks for what you've done. It's, it's helped us get through a difficult time in, uh, in our lives, a time when we were low. I'll never forget one time when you were on a cruise with us. You said, Bill, can I say something about the videos? I said, sure, you can say anything you want to say. more." And it was about a song, I think, uh, Linda Randall. Linda Randall, yeah, yeah. Uh, his eye is on the sparrow, a time in your life, yeah. yeah. Another time uh, that I have uh, 
gone to her music. I, she's she's one of my favorites among your your list of very capable uh, talent. But um, uh, I, I was a big fan of Mahalia Jackson. times have we been in the hospital and um, and and ask a friend how you're doing it and they say I'm taking one day at a time I recently saw a, a video that you made for your kids and you you wanted to make sure that they knew that you were from a small town called West Frankfurt Illinois and they and you wanted to make sure that these were the things that fed you as a kid. Of course, as you've said earlier, your father was a minister. But you had found a sermon that he had uh, done right during the civil rights uh, time back in the 60s. And he was in Huntsville, Alabama, right in the middle of it. Decatur, Decatur, Alabama. Yes, yes. And uh, made a strong stand uh, early. Um right there in Alabama. Um, well, the interesting thing is, Bill, I checked the dates on that, and that sermon was preached three days after Martin Luther King was assassinated. Hmm. And it was a very, very strong challenge to the church to begin to stand up uh, in the South uh, for, for civil rights. And uh, I remember one statement he made in that, in that sermon. Uh, I heard the whole thing. You only heard an excerpt that I included in that video. But he said, we have treated these people lower than the animals. Yes. And he talked about how people will let their dog get in bed with them. They'll sometimes let the dog eat with them at the table. But we wouldn't do that for black people. And it was a powerful sermon, and he you know, filled with illustrations. And uh, uh, I was never so proud of him uh, as I was in listening to that sermon. And I heard him preach, of course, when I was growing up. But I knew Dad was very active in civil rights uh, indicator and worked for the mayor's council on, the, on civil rights, but I did not know how courageously he had uh, approached the problem from the pulpit. And taking the stand sometime can be uh, pretty costly. And he did. And he did. Yeah. Mord, it's always a joy to talk with you and the... Uh, one of the things we, uh, we're trying to do in this series is um, answer the question, Bill, you have some interesting friends, and, uh, and more than just being interesting, I don't know how many times I have felt free to pick up the phone and say, Mort, have you heard this? What's your opinion on it? It's just good to have. The other good thing about you that I dearly, dearly love, and I've told people this, you need friends that you can disagree with and still has nothing to do with your relationship. 
I think we're living in a day and a time when, you know, just the minute we feel as though somebody is off kelter as far as stuff that's important to us, we can write them off pretty quickly and get down the road. And uh, the thing that's always been so beautiful about you and in the, you know, in the whole growth process is, uh, is we can disagree and it has nothing to do with the friendship. Well, I think, uh, Bill, we, at least in my lifetime, and it's been a pretty long lifetime, I don't ever recall any period in our history when the tribalism has been as uh, severe and as dangerous yes. as it is today. Yeah. Uh, today, uh, if you are, and I will just use this for an example, if you're on the, on the Republican side, on the Trump side, you cannot say anything critical about the president without it being met immediately by a wall of resistance. Mm-hmm no matter how valid the criticism might be. Yeah. And and that's working on the other side as well. Uh, attack, uh, you know, say something negative about Nancy Pelosi or, yeah. or Senator uh, Schumer. Uh, and, and immediately the, the defenses go up. Instead of saying, you know, I wonder if there's some validity to that. I, you know, because none of these people are perfect and no party is perfect. And to take the position that if you're on one side, it's 100% correct, and if you're on the other side, it's 100% wrong. And that's hurting our country, and it's, it's hurting our relationships as Americans, because this country has always made progress when we've had a dynamic tension. And one of my favorite quotes, and I think it uh, shows up at the Bill Clinton Library, but he was the one that said, he said, we need conservatives to hold the lines that should never be crossed, and we need liberals erase the lines that never should have been drawn. In the first place. And as I look back historically over the times when, when great legislation was passed, and, and I think of the relationship Tip O'Neill had with Ronald Reagan and, and the relationship that, um, that Lyndon Johnson and Dirk, uh, Ever Dirksen had. Ever Dirksen. They were uh, on opposite sides of the aisle uh, as majority and minority leaders. And they could, they could fight over legislation and debate and discuss and have disagreements and on the way out of the, uh, of the Senate, uh, put their arms around each other and say, let's get together and have a barbecue tonight with our families. Yes. Uh, that's the way it should be, Bill, and that's how our country has made progress. And I'm, I'm really uh, both weary and discouraged uh, by the tribalism that makes it impossible to have the kind of dialogue that you and I have, where we can disagree, we can discuss issues, we can look at flaws uh, in, in, in the system and in people, and it doesn't affect our friendship if anything it addresses it. The elephant in the room is not the left versus the right. The elephant in the room is we can't talk about it anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the even... The, before Thanksgiving last fall, there were some talk shows that said, here are the things you can talk about and you can't talk about at Thanksgiving. And that's too bad. If that's if, if, if we're friends, that's too bad. Because, uh, you know, historically, I have grown. I, I have people on all sides uh, of the fence. And the one common thing is they love Jesus. I mean, you know, in, in many cases, some cases, no. No, but 
but but to be open about that and just simply uh, say we're not going to discuss it, that's not the answer. We still have to talk. If it means lowering our voice and the uh, the emotion level, we still have to. I, I would say that's not only true in politics, but it's true in relationships and uh, the differences. Yeah, we need to lower our voices and our defenses. And our defenses. Our defenses. Well, and I can remember one time we were discussing it, and you've spent your life in news, but you said, uh, I really have to think the media has to take some of the blame for this. And uh, and I think we we all have to take some of the blame for it. But uh, I think many times uh, profits for the corporations, uh, the news corporations, are, are more important than— the- Well, it, it, it is, Bill, and— and I can say this, uh, I think, without fear of contradiction to anybody who looks at the situation objectively, but you are not going to get fair and balanced news on MSNBC. You're not going to get fair and balanced news on Fox, because these two organizations, one on the left, one on the right, have figured out where the money is, and the money is in appealing to and appeasing their particular audience. audience yeah. That has contributed in great part to the to the big divide in this country where people, if you're only watching one channel or the other, yeah. you're only getting one side of the issue. And of course, that reinforces and, and, uh, and, and strengthens your position rather than enlightening you. And, and that cuts both ways. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a right or a left issue. It's a media issue, and I think the media has a lot of responsibility uh, for, for having gotten off track. Well, Mark Krim, thank you for being one of those leveling agents in my life because uh, I never realized this kid growing up in a cornfield in Alexandria, Indiana, would live in the world that I have lived in. <laughs> but it's always interesting to get your perspective and, uh, and your friendship is very, very important to me. You and Rainey well, are... I, I agree with that, Bill. I endorse it 100%. I value your friendship, and I will continue calling you whenever I have a serious computer or technical question. I know you <laughs> Have a good day, my friend. You too, Bill. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of more than the music. For details on the Gaither Vocal Band tour dates, the latest Gaither music releases, and much more, visit us online at gaither.com. This is Bill Gaither signing off until the next edition of More Than the Music. <laughs>